Your whole life is about to change. Or, at least the way you see it. Welcome everyone to Bearing Up. Uh, it's good to have you with us today. Uh, we are talking about uh, two things uh, that can change your life if you uh, know about them and you know how uh, to uh, use them to your advantage. Uh, talking about perspective and change. Um, the uh, ideas uh, from this have come from a book. Um, of course, we're going to dive into some scriptural examples as well and, and see how this actually plays out uh, in, in reality, in real life. Um, but the book that I want to recommend uh, is called The Little Things by Andy Andrews. I love Andy Andrews' works, and he's, he's got a lot of books. Uh, but, uh, you know, everything he writes is something that, that I, I enjoy. I haven't read everything that he's written, but I've read a few things, and, and I have enjoyed them. But this is just a short little book. Um, talking about the little things of life and um, he spends a chapter talking about perspective and a chapter on change and I wanted to talk about those two things today um, because I believe that alongside faithful obedience to the Lord having the right perspective and thinking right about change can fundamentally change your life for the better and even make you more faithful to God and improve your ministry so that's going to be the focus today. Let's dive into perspective and look at this idea uh, first. And uh, the way that we're going to do this is look at three myths about perspective, uh, as well as three myths about change, uh, and see if we can sort of figure out the truth uh, about these things. So myth number one about uh, perspective is that you are powerless when it comes to the way that you see the world uh, because uh, perspective is formed from your environment it's formed from your raising and your identity and so you have to see things a certain way based off of who you are um, before we get into this I'd like to simply state the difference between perception and perspective because they are separate and they are different from one another. Uh, perception is interpreting what is. You know, it's looking at the facts, it's analyzing, it's looking at what you see, what is known. You know, it's just analyzing, it's just seeing, it's what you perceive. Um, so perspective is different because perspective is what you have in relation to the facts. It's the ability to determine how you respond and what you do with the information that you're given. And so they are different. You know, perception is, you know, I see this. Perspective is, what am I going to do about it, right? The truth about perspective is that we have near total control over our perspective. Uh, so the way that we handle situations is entirely within our control. It's not it's not up to the world. It's not up to society to determine how our lives are going to be. Uh, it's going to be how we view the information on our perspective. Um, so this idea is simply that you choose how you're going to behave and you're going to choose what the future holds for you from the point that you have new information. Right. So here's an example. You could perceive that 
that you are at the very worst point in your life. Like there's not ever been a, a worse point. You are you are in you know the the deepest darkest point in your life. Um, and maybe you're there now, and maybe you've been there before, and your world is just crumbling. Perspective is the difference in choosing whether you are a victim that's trapped in the rubble of your fallen world, or you are an investigator or a first responder digging through the pieces. So you get to decide what you're going to be. You get to decide whether you're a victim or whether you're going to do something in that wreckage, in that rubble. Um, you know, Perspective is the difference between wallowing and trying to learn from the situation. But it's not always about pessimism or optimism either. It's simply the idea that you choose how to respond to information. In Acts chapter 4, uh, Peter and the apostles were jailed, they were questioned, and they were subsequently threatened for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the uh, Jewish council, the rulers and the scribes, they, they threatened them. They, they didn't really know what to do with them, uh, so they let them go. Uh, but they, you know, made it clear that this is not allowed. What you're doing is, is not allowed. Um, but were Peter and the apostles powerless to this? You know, they're being told no. And, and many of us, we give up when we are told no. You know, that's not a good idea. Or maybe, you know, we don't have the time for that. Or, you know, we're just told no uh, about a lot of things. And maybe you have an idea and you present an idea and you say, well, that's not any good. And we may feel powerless to the idea. Well, uh, since they said no, I can't do anything. But the apostles weren't powerless in their situation when they were told no. And neither are we. You know, if we're told no, we we do something with that information. We don't just, well, I'm give up now. Because that's not what the apostles did, and that's not what we should do either. With a bit of perspective, they decided not to abandon Christ, nor to abandon the area and flee. They decided instead to gather together and to pray for boldness, and then to keep going, to keep going back to, you know, Solomon's porch and to to go and to, to teach, even still, even being told no, uh, they had a perspective that said, no, we can't give up, uh, you know, even though we're being told to, even though the reality of the situation is sort of pointing us to give up, uh, we're not going to do that. Uh, and so uh, perspective makes a, a difference. We are not powerless to the situations that we're in. Um, you know, perspective makes the difference there. And so, myth number two is that wisdom is practiced simply by analyzing facts and making a decision. Uh, so, gathering and weighing the facts is important, and it's, an, it's as important as ever um, in trying to make conclusions about the world, you know, and, and it's not just conclusions about you know, world and national events, the media, uh, political candidates, you know, these sorts of things. Uh, it's not all about that. Gathering the facts about your marriage, uh, about your family, your job, and your faith, they're even more important to gather what you know about these things because those things directly affect you, right? They are, they are the most immediate effectors of your life and the outcome of your life and the direction of your life. Uh, so you can gather the facts about 
all of those facets of, of who you are and what relationships you have. That's so important. But when you gather all of the facts, it's not enough to just lay them all out and then make a decision about what you're going to do or how you're going to be. Um, the facts about your marriage may tell you that your marriage is falling apart. And if that conclusion is made and a decision is made based on the facts that your marriage is falling apart, you know, you may be making an unwise decision. You may make maybe making a poor decision in what you're going to do about that. You know, a lot of people, when they, they see their marriage is falling apart, they give up uh, because they feel like, well, there's nothing I can do because of the state that it's in. You know, they make a decision based off of uh, what they've received, the information that they've received, but they haven't applied perspective. Wisdom requires perspective. It doesn't it's not just facts and making a decision on the facts. Facts are important. The truth is important, but perspective about them is important too. So I think about King Josiah, right? He was the one that became king at eight years old uh, after his father was assassinated. Uh, had only been king for, I, I know it was less than 10 years. I think it may have been only two or three years that he was king. Um, so Josiah becomes king at eight years old, and he sends, later on in his reign, he sends people to go in and, and investigate the temple and bring some things out, and they find the Torah, they find the book of the law, and he has that read, he tears his clothes, and he commits to do right by God. You know, he, he sees this information, and he makes a decision. But then, God tells him, that the nation of Judah is still going to fall. Second Chronicles chapter 34, uh, verses 24 through 28, despite him finding the law and him as a king being remorseful, God is still going to bring his wrath on Judah. There's not anything he can do about it, right? He, he, the wrath is coming and it's going to come after Josiah dies. Uh, and so there's two main facts. If, if we're Josiah and we're, we're thinking about what to do, there's two main facts about the situation. You know, you're king over a rebellious people. So that's the first one. And then after, after you die, God's going to pour out this incredible wrath on this nation. So what do you do? All right. The facts may say, well, there's nothing you can do. And the conclusion from those facts is, well, you might as well give up. You might as well not try since it's not going to amount to anything, right? And so that's a conclusion that we might make uh, when we are in a hopeless situation sometimes. Uh, well, there's no use in trying uh, because the facts say this, and I don't think that I can, can handle this on my own. So, but Josiah, instead, he applied perspective. He looked at the facts and he, before coming to a conclusion about what to do, he applied a perspective on it. Um, despite the situation that he was in, despite what was going to happen to the nation, he committed himself and the nation to the Lord. He tore down the idols and the high places. He reinstituted the Passover and temple worship. You know, he was going to still, even though God said that this is what's going to happen, you know, he still desired to please God. He still tried to do right by God and right by the nation. 
you know, despite the circumstances. So that leaves Josiah with a legacy in which he is one of the greatest kings of all of Judah, one of the most faithful examples of those kings for us. Uh, and so uh, he became that because he applied the right perspective. Now, myth number three, and finally talking about this uh, topic before we get into change, uh, is that perspective doesn't change my situation. Looking at things differently will not make any difference to what is happening to me. Um, so when Paul was in imprisoned in Rome, um, he wrote several letters to churches all around to encourage them. And one of those most encouraging letters was the book of Philippians. And uh, the reason why it is so encouraging is because of Paul's perspective in his situation and how it made the difference. So Philippians chapter 1 verses 12 through 14 says this, now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the Praetorian Guard and to everyone else, and that most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. So Paul he knew he wasn't going anywhere anytime soon, right? He didn't know, you know, what's going to happen to him. He said that, you know, he, he may die, you know, in this prison. Um, he didn't know what was going to happen. But his personal situation, even though it didn't look like it was going to change, did not deter him from having a particular perspective that would benefit him and others in this situation. So his perspective, despite being in prison, influenced other people's lives. Not just the guards, but, uh, you know, not just them who were able to hear the gospel through Paul. But because of Paul's disposition in prison, those that were hearing word from him, like the Philippians and others, they were encouraged rather than deterred from from following just like Paul and doing the things like Paul, right? It's it's incredible that they look at this as a positive rather than a, a negative. Their perspective is, is all that's changed. Uh, Paul's disposition is changed because of the way he's seeing everything. Um. This is also the letter where he writes about contentment. Uh, so, despite his imprisonment, his perspective made the difference, you know, between wallowing in hopelessness and an opportunity to minister in a different way. The perspective that Paul took was that the Lord would provide him strength no matter what, uh, in order to, to meet the needs that he uh, had to have in order to make it through. And that belief that the Lord was going to provide for him, that he was going to be with him and strengthen him, that's all it took to dramatically change this situation. It dramatically changed 
maybe the circumstances were the same. He was in prison and, you know, he was going to be in prison, whether he wallowed in it or whether he was rejoicing in it. Um, but the situation changed because of the way that Paul saw his situation. And we can do the same. We can have a different perspective um, regardless of, of what our situation is in life. Guys, thank you so much for watching or listening to Bearing Up today. Uh, we want to invite you to please like, subscribe, follow, um, you know, do all those things on our social media. Uh, you can watch us on Facebook, YouTube, or Rumble. Um, we have an Instagram as well that kind of announces our episodes uh, ahead of time. Uh, and uh, we can also be found as a podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, one great way for you to listen to Bearing Up is to go to the Ministry League app, and you can find us there in the Ministry League network. Um, that's a great uh, program. Uh, check out the Ministry League at ministryleague.com to learn more. Um, but they are a fantastic group, a fantastic organization that focuses on offering free Christian materials and resources to anyone that wants them. So check out the Ministry League, their website, or their app. You can listen to Bearing Up there. And thank you so much again for watching or listening today. All right, so let's continue. We're going to talk about change. Uh, change, because there's a lot of ideas about change. Uh, there are things that, um, you know, people have built campaigns around change. Uh, and so there's a lot of myths uh, with this that uh, we should address and things that will help us to have a different perspective <laughs> on uh, on the way that we see uh, change and how our lives can be different. Uh, because ultimately, that's, that's the idea. You know, if you want your life to be different from what it is now, uh, if you want things to be better, if you want to reach your goals, if you want to, you know, if you could imagine what the potential that God has put in you, what he sees as your potential, and you want to accomplish that, then it takes change. It takes, uh, it takes motivation. It takes, uh, growth. Um, but let's talk about these myths with change. The first one is that it takes time to change. Uh, and this is kind of one of those that's like, well, yeah, it takes time to change. You know, that's what we've been taught. Um, that's something that's kind of really obvious. We kind of think, you know, well, people progress, they change, they grow. That's the not, that's the words that we use. We, we grow. Um, but this is one of the most widespread lies about change that we hear just about everywhere. Um, we're deceived into believing that change is a process uh, and it's slow moving. And that's not true. The preparing for change may be a process, but... The actual change is something that's actually very immediate. Knowledge is something that develops with time. That's true. But change is immediate. It's, it's something that happens in a moment, in a day. Consider Paul. Again, you know, we mentioned him, but we want to go back to his conversion, where in the book of Acts he's referred to as Saul uh, in Acts chapter 9. And consider the 3,000 on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Right? Paul, 
he immediately went from being a persecutor of Christians to preaching Jesus. It really didn't take any time at all. He was, you know, convicted and immediately his life changed. Uh, the 3,000 immediately went from practicing Judaism to being the church and engaged in the work of the church on that very day. Uh, they, you know, were baptized. And what does Acts chapter 2 say? They were in each other's homes and they were doing the work and they were uh, distributing needs to the poor and they were doing all kinds of stuff. Uh, it, it all happened immediately. That change happened right away. But this isn't just true of conversions. There have been many examples in our world of people like smokers, uh, alcoholics, who threw their cigarettes away or poured their liquor down the drain and never touched it again. Now, how, well, what sort of explanation is that? You know, did this change happen over time? Maybe the being prepped for that change happened over time, but there was a day that many of them just dropped it never picked it up again. Was that change hard for them? For some of them, they would probably say that it was excruciating, that it was really hard, and they were tempted to go back into it. But for others, the desire was was easy to squash any time that they were tempted because they remembered why they gave it up. But in either case, whether it was incredibly difficult or whether there was a little bit of ease to it, um, that change happened in a day for them. They, they made a decision, and that decision manifested into a change in their life. Uh, that happened in a day. right? If you want your life, your marriage, or your faith to change, don't wait for it to change. Don't just assume that over time it will change. Decide what you need to do and do it, right? Don't don't just wait around and expect, well, you know, I'm not really on fire for God right now, but, you know, eventually I'm going to hear a sermon or I'm going to grow in my knowledge. And, and as I grow in my knowledge, that's what's going to get me motivated. No, if, if we want to change, then... We need to change, right? We make the decision to change, uh, and we can do that today. We can do that this moment to dedicate ourselves, to commit ourselves, and to go, and to do what we are committed to doing. Now, myth number two is that in order for a change to occur, a person must want to change. Again, this proposition seems valid, but... It's incredibly untrue. And honestly, as much as we think it makes sense, it doesn't make any sense at all. The people from those conversions that we were talking about, they didn't want to change. You know, Paul, Saul was on his way to imprison Christians. He was on his way to, to, to go against, he was firmly against the way, right? And these Jews were celebrating a Jewish holiday, None of them were looking to change. None of them were, were you know, waiting or wanting to change. Uh, and so, even still, that change happened, and it happened immediately. But 
you know, this is also true if you look at your own life. If you look at your own life, this is incredibly apparent. It's it's not something that, you know, every change that you had was not something that you were looking for, that you wanted, right? There were things in your life over the course of your life that changed because you were presented with new information. And you know this. You know this is true. You know, there were decisions about where to go to school or what job to pursue or who to date, you know, who to break up with, who to marry. You know, you've made these decisions and you were given information and, and you know, you made a choice and those choices changed your life. Some decisions may have come as a result of an opportunity or maybe some have come from a tragedy. But in either case, the direction of your life changed on those days that you had that, that information was given to you or or you decided something or you realized something and a change occurred. You took a, a perspective and made a decision and your life was different at that point. And so we can do this today, right? We, you don't have to want to change um, for a change to occur. And this is really beneficial for us um, with evangelism, uh, that idea, um, but also just understanding that if something happens in your life, you know, look at it, consider it, take a proper perspective of it, um, and see where it leads you, right? N not see where it leads you in the way that I'm just kind of, kind of wait around and, and see this, but based on your perspective, um, make a wise decision about where to go from there. So to, to wrap up here, um, myth number three is our final point. Um, a person won't change unless they hit rock bottom or unless they have some fantastic personal discovery. So this is, again, one of those, um, one of those things that's said about change. And it's phrased in a lot of ways. Typically, it's the idea that you have to get you know, things have to get really, really bad in order for your life to, to get any better, right? Or that you're waiting for some sort of epiphany. You have to have some epiphany or spark or inspiration in order to change. Uh, like you have to read a, a the perfect book for you to read. You know, you know you're, you're sort of waiting in life for the next thing in order to motivate you to change. Um, but this isn't true either. This isn't true either. You don't have to have an epiphany. You don't have to, you know, be in the dregs, you know, in, in the lowest point of your life, uh, in order to make some decisions about how you want to live life. You just decide, you know, you decide for yourself what you're going to do. Um, you know, the, the smoker or the alcoholic that gives up addiction doesn't have to be homeless and resort to stealing in order to make the decision to give up those things, right? Most people who quit, they they decide well before it gets to that point, you know, to, to give up those things. Most that quit don't end up homeless. Um, you know, there are some that do, but that's just not how it works, right? David wasn't at rock bottom 
when he was convicted of his sins with Bathsheba and Uriah, and, and he decided to, to commit to the Lord when he realized to he realized his error. He he wanted to recommit himself. Right? He made a decision. He wasn't at rock bottom. He was king. You know, he could do whatever he wanted to do. Um so I mean David had been in worse situations before. Um but he still decided to make things right with God. A change occurred um when he made that realization. The key to real change uh, are two simple things. In order for someone to change, all it takes for them is to see how a change would benefit them. And there is proof beyond a shadow of a doubt that that will, in fact, benefit them. This sounds kind of selfish, right? It sounds like, you know, what's in it for me? And that is the idea. What it, What's in it for me? But as we're asking that question, what we're really considering is, is how it benefits your life, considering also those important things like faith and your marriage, uh, your family, your work, your church, all of those things. How does it benefit my family? How, how will this benefit uh, my relationship with God? Um, if we believe that beyond any doubt, that a change will benefit us in a way that is favorable and helpful for success in our lives, then what holds us back from that? Would there be anything that holds us back? In Jeremiah chapter 20 and verse 9, Jeremiah said that the Lord's word was like a fire that was shut up in his bones and, and he was weary from holding it in, but he couldn't hold it in. Uh, he, he couldn't... Uh, refrain from speaking the word of God? Was it because this was a miraculous thing? Was there an actual fire in his bones that was the word and it was manifesting into pain or, or anything like that? Was it a miraculous thing? Or was it that he was simply committed to sharing God's word because he desired God and desired a relationship with God and desired to please him, right? If, if those are the things that were in Jeremiah, then it makes sense that he would share God's word, regardless of the fact that he was being persecuted, you know, regardless of the fact that he was being mocked. Um, he was going to be faithful. He was going to keep preaching because he knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that by listening to the Lord and sharing the word that was given to him, that it would please God. And that's what he wanted in his life. That's what he desired. He knew that that would benefit him in having a relationship with God and being his and so he did it, you know, and he was committed. He stayed committed to, uh, to the preaching of God's word. And so what we have today is perspective and change. What would we do without them, right? What would we do without um, these, these two ideas? And I hope that, that your life will be led by a perspective of, of pleasing God. I'm desiring to please God in, in all that I do in the way that I interact with my family and my coworkers and the, the classmates and whatever it is that you are, are in, what relationships you have. I hope that you're led by a perspective of, I'm going to give God my all. I'm going to give him everything that I have. 
Uh, and so that perspective, I'm sure, will help you to make some great decisions today. And I hope that you will make the necessary changes to become an even greater, more faithful Christian that is zealous for, for God and his work. Make the changes that need to happen. Don't just assume that they will happen with time, uh, that they will you know happen eventually one day, or that you have to get to this point in your life in order to change. Just make the decision. Make the decision today. Commit to it and do it. And that's all you've got to do. Uh, realize that uh, a relationship with God is the most fulfilling thing that there is. Uh, and pleasing him, pleasing him uh, is uh, really the greatest thing that we can do in this life. Um, I also want to remind you to check out Andy Andrews' book, uh, The Little Things. Uh, not a sponsor, but uh, I just thought that that was a great work. Uh, of his, something I just finished reading uh, myself, and uh, recommend his other works as well. Uh, the Lost Choice is a good one, um, and uh, The Noticer, uh, those those are great books uh, to check out if you are interested in, in that stuff. But thank you so much for, again, watching or listening today. Um, I hope this has been impactful for you. Uh, these concepts and these realizations have really helped me. Uh, in in the past week, and I hope that they're going to uh, continue to make changes in my life uh, that uh, will be lasting uh, throughout my life. Uh, and so uh, I hope that will be the same for you. Thanks again for watching or listening today. God bless. <music>